Hello, I'm Howard and welcome to The Friday Show, the show that, despite what was said on our sister Premier League show today, refuses to get the big coat out before November. Uh, We're looking back and forward as always, back at England, because City haven't been playing, with an emphasis on City most likely, and previewing a big game against the Seagulls this weekend. To do so, got two calm heads in, it's Chris and George. Alphabetical order as always. Uh, Chris, first up, good morning, how are you? I'm fine, Howard. Good morning. The, the, the big coat conversation was a huge overreaction. It's like m- m- Monday Monday was cold, but it's warmed up again. I'm sorry. It might be umbrella time, but it's not big coat time yet. Nowhere near. Yeah. Coat for the rain, but not for the temperature. Yeah, it's not, not. I mean, I don't want to be cold sat in the stands, but it's nowhere near that point yeah of, of, of a big coat you need layers but not a big coat I, I i fear that they were being yeah they were being slightly they were overreacting a little bit there but hey you never know we might freeze our tits off <laughs> to, right. tomorrow afternoon but we'll see so basically you're just saying the mad asses, aren't they so. yeah they, i just think these are toughen up a little bit really because <laughs> i'll probably i'll probably wear shorts and a vest tomorrow i don't know about I mean, you but that's probably what i'm going to do Newcastle supporters won't even have their top on until mid-December, so no, it's just I know. embarrassing, I, isn't it? So. Well, Jordans are born naked and they see no reason to change that when they go to football games, so yeah, fair play to them. Having said that, it's the middle of the day and I'm sat here with the light on because of the weather outside, so. <laughs> True. <laughs> but it's not that cold. Uh, George, good morning, how are you? Good morning, I'm, I'm well, thanks. How are you doing, Howard? Yeah, not bad. Uh it's dip- I, sh- I should say, I was, I was uh, went to Lisbon last weekend and uh, they do have rain there, but it was nice and warm and to come back to... It's just that moment, isn't it, when you come back and know it's autumn now and there will be no heat now <laughs> Fell for about six months. is uh, quite depressing in a way, but hey, it's it's okay. It's not bad and proper football's back. So have you had a good week? Yeah, it's um, it's been all right. I'm um, I'm very excited to have City back in my life uh, this weekend, though. The international break was I enjoyed the Italy match, the Australia one not so much, but um, but yeah, it's uh, it always feels like a lifetime the international break and there, uh, but then before you know it, you're back into the swing of it. So yeah, very much ready for tomorrow back at the Etihad. So many three o'clock kickoffs as well. It's amazing. I know it's, it's not, this is this, this has got to be the the most three o'clock kickoffs we've had in a season for at least eight nine years yeah maybe plus maybe more it's 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 crazy I'm enjoying it a lot but it's um I, I'm I'm it's almost uh, it's still it feels quite novel the amount we're having which is which is nice mm. make the most of it it won't last is three o'clock Saturday still your optimum time to watch a weekend football match. Um, I do like it, but I have to say, if you get a really good Saturday half five fixture, yeah, I think that is that is probably my the most enjoyable. If it's a good fixture and it's not like raining or anything, and it, even by the time you finish, you know it's half seven, you can still go and do something else in the evening if 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 you wanted to, or you can just uh, celebrate a, a hopeful victory and all that kind of stuff but so yeah half five Saturday if if all the factors are at play is, is my favourite one Chris I know I'm not sure who was debating this with you the week it's because Michael Cox it might have been Steve actually Michael Cox triggered me by about the 3pm blackout thing which is remaining now but mm. from 2025 Every Premier League game that isn't at three o'clock on a Saturday will be televised. Mm-hmm. So, but the three PM blackout 
but what what he triggered me with was what the, he thought the least worst solution was to never play Premier League games at three o'clock on a Saturday, which I thought was one of the most stupid things I'd heard for a long time. So, do you have a preferred kickoff time on the weekend? You know, I've started to I've started to get used to the twelve thirty. I know that's anathema to you, Howard, but I've started to quite enjoy the twelve thirty mm. because it's that. So obviously, three pm is is we when we you know when we're at the Premier League for so long, we just got used to three pm kickoffs. Um, but there's something about the timing of it. Like I, I agree with George. If it's a five thirty kickoff, you've got the whole day to do whatever you need to do. And if it's a twelve thirty kickoff, you haven't really got much time in the morning. But if you win, you've then got a great late afternoon set up. Um, if it's a three pm kickoff and it's a bad result, it just used to ruin my Saturday. Because uh, mm. I hadn't, I had no energy or enthusiasm to go and do something else. So, yeah, I quite. I, if I'm honest. I've become pretty indifferent towards it. I've just adapted to the diversity of kickoff times, really, and it doesn't really it, it doesn't really bother me too much now. Um, yeah, it's nice to do th- it's nice to do th- three pm. But yeah, it could be any yeah. time, couldn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. half three on a Sunday now, which I don't know yeah, if that's no. a, a first. I, I was, was going to ask a question, just something George was saying about international break, because I, I, I feel that gap when we're not when we're not playing and, and we have to endure a lot of the international fixtures. Has has your attitude towards the international break changed since City have started to be successful? Over the last thirteen, you know, twelve, thirteen years, because the way I recall it, when we were through going through that kind of tumultuous time of being poor for most of the time and, and erratic, mm. the international break served as quite a welcome respite from the chaos and often the mediocrity. But now, I, I don't know. I feel a little impatient now that, particularly when City are doing well and and, and, there's, yeah. and there's so much at stake, that actually the 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 international and I know I know the international fixtures need to be played and they are essential, but they do become an unwelcome distraction to me. I just wonder if there if there is a connection between City's fortunes and uh, and and the way we view the international break now. Hmm, it's a fair point. I. I, w- I don't actually mind them that much. I would say I welcome them, but for different reasons than I used to, in that I still sh- struggle with being laid back about City. So I still find mm. the season stressful, even in October. You know, and obviously many of our March to Mays are like, <laughs> will take years off your life in their previous oh, yeah. seasons. Yeah. The stress is unbelievable, and I struggle to deal with that stress. And I've do actually find international breaks a bit of a palate cleanser because I can just have a break for a bit. So I actually welcome them like I used to quite a lot of the time for the for a very different reason to what you said. Having said that, yes, when we're playing well and others, especially when our rivals are struggling, you want a game every few days, don't you? Mm. And but those, but those those international breaks don't normally come in that critical period, do they? Sort of March no. to May. No. And and it's the, funny you say that because they are they are they are they do induce stress on the level which is almost unsustainable. But the payoff has always been great. Like we've never not had a payoff in a stressful leading, have we? Apart, from, I mean, could, obviously, apart from when we lost to Liverpool, we knew that was done and dusted months yeah. before. There's often City often play when I'm away, and I might often be away mm. more in September, October than I would June, July, August. Mm. And the, what I like about an international break is I'd much prefer, 
having a you know a holiday when City are not playing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because it's brilliant when they do play one. So you know, I was in in Turkey and we beat West Ham and that's that's just brilliant isn't it but I'd still rather have I've got a bad record City have been terrible when I've been away quite a lot of time and I just would prefer not to have any stress whilst you're on holiday thinking about a match day whilst you're on holiday mm. holidays are to total relaxation and England will never stress me out enough so having England games during the break is the perfect compromise I think so yeah, I don't. I don't mind them to be honest. They're just a necessary evil, aren't they? Though the next one is going to be very, very tedious now that England have qualified. So. <laughs> yeah, and 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 I think I think your your approach there that, that the England England games provide you with that welcome de-stressing moment is a damning indictment of how we view England games, isn't it? You know, in terms of our different well, our indifference is turned up to ten. Well, looking at the, I'm going to bring forward a question that was probably late for the show because mm. it segues quite well into that for both of you, perhaps, to answer. There are so... We'll t- let's talk about England first before we preview, obviously, the big match this weekend. Uh, we won't spend too long on England, don't worry about it, but there will be a city bent. Now, I remember the, the time Sean Wright Phillips came on the pitch as sub and scored that wonder goal, was it against Ukraine or whatever? But the pride anyway, whatever it was all those years ago, mm. there's a city player playing for England. Now, of course, we've got half the squad. Uh and we'd have even more if if we'd got some of our transfer targets. We could have had Maguire and uh, Rice uh, on top of others in that team. Maybe even Harry Kane. Who knows? We could have had the whole squad if you believe <laughs> transfer rumours. Uh, George, I'm going to start with you. How I sat down for this league thinking, you know what? We're going to qualify anyway. Don't matter. But it's Italy, so it should be quite a good game. I'm so relaxed about this that I'm not that interested. I could just watch it de-stress. And yet immediately I'm still stressing a bit about how the City players on the pitch perform. Do you actually welcome all these City players in the England squad? Do you, do you like seeing them there? Would you rather they were arrested because it's like, uh-oh, they could get an injury at any time? Or like me, do you, do you care what opposition fans say if, say, Kyle Walker puts in a stinky performance? What's your attitude nowadays to seeing so many City players in the England side? It definitely has shifted from what it used to be. Um, like you said, I remember when Shawnee Wright get, got his first England cap, and I was, I was, I felt like just pride really that a City mm. player was in the England team. And I think even when Barton got a cap as well, called up at City, you know, I think he got one cap in his whole international career, Barton, but he was still a City player getting that. It really meant a lot because it was, you know, we we couldn't celebrate many victories for the club in the seasons so our place playing for England was was like quite a thing of pride whereas now I've kind of we've, we've been spoiled the last few years and I'm very acclimatised to the fact that when the England squad's announced there's going to be four, five maybe six City players in the squad and on one hand I'm again have that sense of pride I love watching Foden out there playing well ripping it up and it you know, it gives opposition fans a chance to, you know, back City players in a weird way and, and see how good they can be when they remove a bit of their their uh, tinted glasses from whichever club they support. But then when you look at somebody like John Stones, who has just come back from injury and is playing for England and you, you I do get that bit of worry when he when he came off. Hmm. I was like, Oh God, yeah. is there an injury? Is he is he is he as he as he tweaked something? Is it is it gonna be 
Um, is he going to regress and he's going to be out of the weekend now? So you're kind of fighting those two demons at the same time. And it's, it's, it is a weird feeling. I, I don't really lean one way or the other. I'm kind of floating in the middle of those two um, feelings. Chris, how about you? Do you care whatsoever the performance levels of City players in the England team? Um, yeah, similar to Georgia, I, I, I keep I keep a sort of pastoral eye out to see, to make sure that, that, that there's no injuries. Um, I, I have to be honest, I don't. I mean, I didn't even tune in to watch the Italy game live. I watched the highlights, but I was I was out watching. A, I was out at the theatre, so I didn't actually see it. And that showed, that tells me my priority. I recall distinctly in the Mancini era, um, I think it was the season that, that we won the title with Mancini, the, the, the first time it really hit me, um, the quality of squad that we had, because I think there was an England game, and I think there were six at the starting lineup with City players. This was like Hart, Richards, Lescott, Milner, Barry, I think maybe Johnson as well. So, so that, so that was a kind of a real baptism of fire to really get, you know, really get mm. used to the fact that suddenly a lot of our squad were England internationals, not just internationals globally, but internationals in terms of the national squad. But I, I yeah, I mean, I want them to play well because I want to, I want them to impact it on its confidence, and for that, then to tr- transfer to to what they do for us. But I, but what I do feel now is, in terms of playing, in terms of those players, I feel that that our squad of players play at such a high level, such an elite understanding of football that actually playing for England doesn't enhance their footballing intelligence or prowess. It's just international experience, and it's just a matter of pride, individual personal pride for them. What I used to see. City players playing for England as enhancing their qualities as players and developing them as players that would then feed back into City's um, fortunes on the pitch. But I don't see that anymore. I often see a lot of our City players having to almost play a reductive game that, because that's what Southgate w- w- wants to play. So I, I, don't know, I would just say indifference best describes how I feel to, to play. I will watch them. I want them to play well. But it's not a matter of priority for me, and I just, I, I just, yeah, it, it's it's just a sad indictment of how I feel about England as a football team. But I can trace that back to like twenty years ago under under um, Ericsson when, when my whole attitude towards England as a national football team shifted. So yeah, I, I, indifference is it, it, it is the best way that I can describe my feeling towards it. Okay, uh, Josh, did you watch the Italy match? Yeah, yeah, I watched it. Um, what did you think then of the performance? I thought the second half, you know, they they came out and it it, it was I was you know impressed with how kind of progressive it was for a change. I think first half going behind, you know, it was it was it was very cagey and um, he doesn't want to give much away. But and some of the players that they looked a bit shackled. Um, the lineup I liked, aside from even though I'm a big Trippier fan. I don't. I didn't like that balance there with him at left back because he just it kept on opening up his body like to look at the pitch and that kind of lost a bit of that width down the left hand side. Mm. Um, and also when you've got two, you, when you've got Rashford in front of him, left mid, left wing, you've got two people cutting in on the same side, which I don't think ever works. Um, so injuries that, that, though, weren't there? So yeah, yeah, injuries and but. I guess then he's got to look at maybe I don't know would Le- that Levi Colwell at 
at che- he's been playing left back for Chelsea, been playing fairly well. Did you know we know what Trippier is and we know what he does? Maybe that would have been a good test for him. Um, but you know, it, I enjoyed that one a lot, a, a lot more than I did the Australia game, the Italy one. That's for sure. the The Australia one is just like like we said, it's tedious. It's it, he he experimented with the team, but not enough for it to be like really interesting. And didn't really go for it. You you want to see them playing very progressive attacking against a team like Australia, and then obviously against Italy, I understand that you can be a bit more tentative from the start. But um, it's it's not a great Italy team. We are, we do have to admit that as well. Um, well, the issues it, they had going in, yeah, of people, yeah, the various reasons players weren't playing were just a list. It, yeah, l- exactly, longer yeah. than our arms. Yeah, so and if you if you look on paper in years gone by. I was, you know, I was a big fan of the Italy teams in the kind of, you know, um, in the 2000s. You look at the quality of players they had. We, if you were, you know, being objective as an England fan during that period, you would have had most of the, if you could, you would have had most of the Italy team and the England team. But when you look at that Italy lineup this week, I think I would have had maybe two players. I think Donnarumma and Barella, I think, from the Italy team. And then I wouldn't have had a, a single other player, which is, which is quite an odd thing to say, really. I never thought I'd be saying that, but yeah, that's mm. that's that's kind of how I felt about it. Donovan was had his issues as well, uh, yeah. Wise, so yeah, I, d- I did ask on the review: team in transition or team in decline? I guess we'll see. But what for Spalletti to deal with there? So, Chris, we'll get to Southgate in a minute because I think it's very relevant, uh, and it was relevant when we did the review. International management's different, isn't it? So, well, I think Mancini was still manager when we won in Italy. There's yeah, there's a title-winning manager. Spalletti's just won the title with Napoli. Gareth Southgate relegated Middlesbrough, but mm. he's done the double. He might just have better players. It might just be circumstances. But I guess international management is just a different beast altogether. I'm I'm not a fan. I've been a critic of Southgate and as I said in the review, I think if you really want to know if he's progressed at all, we'll know in the key games, if we go ahead in a big game in the finals, whether that team is brave or whether it goes into shell again like it has in the past mm. and ends up you know, literally gifting the game to the opposition who will equalise and then go on to win. We will see. What I did notice during the week, that second half was a really great performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so two great goals and obviously Rashford was brilliant Bellingham was brilliant Foden was just a completely different player to the first half he was tracking back and we'll get to him now I'm a critic of Southgate and I think deep down there's a little thing with us critics of there's many of us England fans who don't think Southgate's good enough secretly want dour performances to confirm our suspicions that it's not good enough. Mm-hmm. And I could see it on my Twitter timeline, and I, yeah, I'm still calling it Twitter, in that second half that there were some that didn't want to give praise for that performance because they don't want to give Southgate praise. Do you see where I'm coming from here? That I think there's a part of the England fan base that was secretly disappointed at that second half performance. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a paradox at play, isn't there? Because the, mm. you... Of course, when England play, we want to see a certain kind of swashbuckling performance, but that is also a hangover of a previous time when we were always the the, the tragic, brave, unlucky losers. We saw tremendous swashbuckling 
1990. And in 1996, when Gascoigne was at the heart of that team, but it did, it didn't win us anything. And 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 I think that that if you look over the last 30 years of international tournaments, the World Cup and the Euros in particular, that's because because they are often European. Um, there's a big European emphasis there. Pragmatism often wins out. The best teams don't always win the tournaments. It's the teams that know how to navigate the tournament. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a huge distinction between managing a league team and managing a national team. It, it, the best kind of analogy I can draw is that if you run an arts venue, it's like running an arts venue that, that you have to deal with it on, on, on a yearly basis. And then it's running a festival, which exists for like three or four weeks. That You approach them in two different ways. One has long-term strategic goals and one has short-term strategic goals. In that sense, that's why I thought Mancini was always a good international manager because it's only so long that a squad of players can tolerate his particular approach. I think that, that, that we want to see players like Foden, like Bellingham, th th those players be able to, to show us a sign of, of, of the way that they can play, the way that we see in the Premier League all the time. But what's very, very different, and this is what Southgate, you know, he's basically a maths teacher. This is what Southgate is, is acutely sensitive to, is that in a 38-league season, you can afford to make mistakes because you can rectify them the following week. International level, it... it the closer you get to, to, to the end the end goal of the tournament, um, particularly within the tournament, you can't rectify mistakes because you only get one uh, opportunity. So I do think that 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 kind of contradiction with the outcry about that second half is really does sum up the challenge that that, that we have in terms of what our expectations of Southgate are. And what he's actually doing, because I know we're going to talk about him, but but his record on one on one side absolutely speaks for itself. Extraordinary record, but you balance that against the expectation of the average England fan, which I think is infected by the sense of entitlement for decades. That I think that's where the paradox is. Wow. And in many ways, I think Southgate can't win either way really because if if he, if he took off the shackles and let the players play with absolute freedom that we can see at the back because we're not savvy enough he would get crucified for it so i i think he's in a bit of a no-win situation i don't endorse the way he approaches the situation but i think he's in a no-win situation well i think you know i disagree with you that i think England would dower in 90 and it's an astonishing tournament as a whole and an astonishing story for england but we drew nil nil with Netherlands, didn't we? Drew with Ireland. We beat Egypt one nil. And I think in the Euro '96, it's totally overplayed. We were brilliant in some games, but we were poor against Switzerland. We were quite lucky against Scotland. We were outplayed against Spain. And I think the expectations we've had of decades now of like, yeah, swashbuckling England, play to our strengths, actually isn't based in reality anyway, George. So I guess that is a defence of. Gareth Southgate that you can't yeah you can't play that that swashbuckling football doesn't really exist does it no I, th I think Southgate is approaching the last few years in in a way that he's he's putting his chips on the table and he's going I don't think our defense and our, our defensive players are are the elite world-class part of our team so I'm going to be more conservative in my approach to the games mm. and then hope that the mid the attacking midfielders and forwards 
will be clinical in the chances that they get, which I understand why he he takes that approach. But I think against the bigger and best teams at international level, if you are too conservative yeah. all the time, then you you won't get those chances because they'll just be on top of you. With like a team like France or Portugal, um, at the moment, if 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 you if you just sit back against them, they'll they'll they're happy to camp in your half and they'll just bombard you all game. So I think that's where the approach maybe needs to change. And and I understand being defensive and solid and not giving much away, but just I think all England fans want is in the big game just a slight slight bit of front-footedness, whether that be changing one of the midfielders to somebody who can get forward as well as do the job uh, yeah. covering the defence in the middle. I think I think that's where there's still the, the two the two camps in in terms of the, um, the Southgate divide. I fully agree because this isn't the test now, is it? It's the test in those big moments. I mean, yeah, Chris, exactly. we're, oh, well, stay with you, George. We're, we're hosting Euro 2028, but England wants to still do qualify the qualifying rounds. Yeah. That that shows they don't they see no jeopardy in doing that, do they? Because they no, would take the risk of not playing in the finals they're hosting or co-hosting. No, I think it's because as I think it's as well that um obviously there's England, Scotland, Wales, um Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. Um so there's the five five nations and UEFA will only give two places Mm. To to uh, so only two out of the five don't have to do the qualifying, so I guess it'd be it'd be a, a bit of a, a bad luck if the 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 best team out of those five nations says <laughs> we'll take one of those and then Northern Ireland and uh, and uh, and Wales you have to do the you have to go through the, and qualify in your own right. So I think it does show that they're confident that no matter who they get put against in the qualifying things, um, they will get through and. With good reason, I guess. I think that 2008 is the last major tournament we haven't qualified for. And I remember that, you know, the Wally with the Broly stuff with McLaren. Yeah, I was at that game, it, yeah. So it was, how that can was I forget just, it, yeah. Yeah, it was just, as a young... This was obviously just before the, the takeover at City as well when we missed out on qualifying. So I remember being so gutted and as a, as a, as a young England fan then and... And it's it's kind of now the je- all the jeopardy's been removed from qualifying for England. It's just an, it's an expectation, and usually we don't even have to play a team as as, as high ranking as Italy. So it is a it's a strange strange thing the qualifying period now as an England fan. Yeah, uh, just quickly, Chris, start with you. Let's look through the the city players uh, to probably to stand out. We discussed Cal Walk on on the review. I don't think there's much mm-hmm. more to say. It's like he might have been on the verge of leaving City, but I think he was a, a time ago when he was sent off and it was, it was felt, especially through uh, much of Fleet Street, that his time as England's right back was over, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, end of an era and then here he is now. He is just the, I mean, Reese James, if he could stay fit, could in theory uh, get him out of the team, but he is just absolutely solid first choice right back now. So kudos to him for for making that position his own, which was is a very crowded position still. Uh, so we'll see how that turns out. Let's do the bad before the good and let's talk Calvin Phillips. Uh, 
he tries to kick a ball at head height in the, about the first minute. He then gets booked in the eighth. And of course, he should have been. How he escaped one in the second half, I don't know. I think the, the ref just saw it wrong, didn't he? Mm-hmm. It's fair to say he failed every audition, really, for that England position and for what 1% chance of that he's, he wouldn't leave in January. Mm. He should be playing for England for two key reasons. Number one, because Southgate has said previously that players that he picks need to be A, in good form, and two, playing consistently for their team. Phillips is doing neither. And secondly, imagine being, imagine the inside of Phillips's head and emotional state at the minute. The, the, the guy, is, he's become, you know, very conscious of the fact that he doesn't have a future at City. Not only that, but that then that is a that you know that, that's testament to the fact that he's not at that, at that level. Every time he comes on to to play for City, he's under intense pressure to try and make a point in, in a position that we know is a slow burn. You look at the greatest defensive midfielders; it's a slow burn to get to that point. Rodri, in, in you know, it, it, an example of that, it took him a season. You put him on the England stage. And he's over-exuberant and he's overzealous in trying to make a point. He shouldn't be playing for England for his own sake. He, he needs to move, go to another club, get plenty of minutes in his legs and then come back in, in, into, into the England fold. I just, th- 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 there's, something, there's something stubborn but decidedly short-sighted, I think, about Southgate's insistence in playing Phillips all, all the time. I know options are not, we're, we're not, we're not, you know, we're not rich in defensive midfield options, but the fact is, I I don't think that Southgate is helping Phillips at all by playing him uh, in the England f- first eleven because he's he's not calling on any muscle memory or any or any match experience over the last eighteen months. So I I, I think it's an error, and I think his performance testifies t- t- to that. I, I I really think Southgate needs to rethink that, but he won't because Phillips seems to be one of the first names. On the team sheet, the good then George Phil Foden. I say I thought the team's hope was pretty dour first half, but second half he came to life. I don't know what was in his half-time orange, but yeah, that forward line all came to life in that second half. And how good was he? Yeah, he certainly sprung into action in that second half. Um, obviously, Jude Bellingham has been getting pretty much all the plaudits by um, most of most yeah. of the media and fans after the match and rightly so you know we'll terrific performance yeah. per- terrific performance once again from him and um he's really got the Midas touch at the moment um but i think foden in that second half not only was he you know creating loads and keeping the tempo nice and quick when we ha- when we had the ball he was grafting off the ball really chasing people pressing like you know, like we like we want to see from him, and getting stuck in, and the um, the 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 clip of Bellingham when he obviously does that little lob over the player. Everybody's been waxing lyrically about that, but it actually comes from Foden on the edge of his own box, uh, nicking the ball, um, few great touches, then chipping it over into Bellingham to set up the whole move, and then it's just those little things that kind of have been overshadowed, obviously, because of the. The Bellingham performance, and I, and I think overall, Foden was his equal in that second half. I, I think, from a footballing perspective, I, I was really happy with what he did, and I I just don't see how 
going forward, you can pick an England team without Phil Foden. And for me, even removing all my bias, I think he's he's a player that we desperately need for his creativity and also because he does things and makes choices that most other players do not. But it's going to be interesting to see once, you know, Saka's back from his injury and how how that forward line in midfield looks because I have a feeling he'll put Saka back in, but I'm not too sure. Mm. Well, that's it, Chris. Where is he in the pecking order? Let's assume, highly unlikely anyway, that Southgate is a fully fit squad going into the Euros next summer. Do you on not it's not your personal view of you know, who should be picked? Do you think Southgate picked Foden in the starting eleven, or is it fairer to suggest he is the twelfth player in this squad, i.e., a first reserve in about three positions? I think that I think Southgate already has and has already applied his default excuse for not playing Foden, um, and I think he thinks Foden is not safe a safe enough player for him. It's more that for me, it's very likely, despite his very junior years, that Foden probably knows more about football than Southgate does in terms of the level which Guardiola imposes his philosophy about football. Foden will come with a with a brain dripping in football um, strategy. But I think that, that Saka and Rashford are probably safer bets for Southgate because he feels that they can be more disciplined. Foden's strength, which is his mercurial talent and his ability to read the game and, and move around the pitch, I think Southgate seems a little bit of a liability sometimes. That's why he says he's not held down that number 10 p- position for, for City without any understanding of the way that Guardiola rotates players around. But I think if Saka's fit and Rashford's fit, I think Foden starts on the bench. And I think that's a damning indictment because, because you have a system you, and 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 it doesn't always equate that you say, but look how they're playing for their club because they're playing in a different system when they come to international side. What I look at is how does a player fit the system and how does each of those individual starting 11 have a unique and bespoke contribution to the team and Foden offers something that no other player in that squad offers. That's why I think he should start because because there's a, it creates a multitude of options. But I think Saka and Rashford are, are Southgate's default options. Um, and I never think I don't think he'll ever be truly candid about the reason uh, for that. Uh, I think and then I think it, uh, it, it's it's a luxury of having so many great players to choose from. But Foden yeah. I think offers more than Rashford at the moment. I think Saka offers something different. And what I do see is the um, connectivity and the mutual appreciation and understanding between Foden and Bellingham. They clearly enjoy playing with each other and that's something which should be capitalised on. As it stands, do you see also then, uh, Jack Grealish is down the pecking order right now for starting birth? Uh, Yeah, possibly. Possibly. I, 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 again, it depends. We know what Grealish's strengths are now under Guardiola. We knew what his strengths were when he was a Villa player. We know what his strengths are now. And I think that, I think that, that he would, he would employ Grealish when he wants to completely control the yeah. game and, 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 and keep possession. I will give Southgate space to say, okay, when you, when you meet a mix of different opponents in the Euros, let's see how you respond, uh, whether you are loyal to a group of 11 players or whether you respond like Guardiola does and changes the lineup according to the 
opposition are. I don't think Southgate is that smart, but I, I may be wrong. Uh, left field question, George. Rico Lewis, starring for the under-21s apparently this week, didn't see the game and he did lose, fortunately, to Ukraine. Next summer, too soon for him to break into this England squad, if we assume he is a midfielder now. And having to play the likes of Henderson or Phillips means that really is an area of the pitch, if you're thinking defensively at least, where there could be an opening for someone, for a player or two, come next summer. It could be too soon, but the narrative is already out there and not just from City fans either. I saw Danny Murphy, I think, a clip on on, on Twitter, you know, an, an unlikely City kind of ally. He was he was on one of his talk sport things, I'd seen a video on Twitter. He was he was saying that advocating for Rico to be to be in the senior England team in that position and mm. as Chris it's always liked Danny it, Murphy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, what a guy. Um, <laughs> as Chris alluded to earlier, you know, defensive midfield is not an area where we're rich with talent. Um, and, you know, Rico, if he continues to play in that position for City in the big games and has a, has a, has a, has a great run of appearances throughout the rest of this campaign for City, he'll definitely be in the conversation and he kind of has to be because mm-hmm. He's he's an option that we don't have that can play in that position whilst also having the ability on the ball and the intelligence he does. I think maybe I think maybe it'll be a little too early because Southgate has turned the England team into the closest thing to a club side an international side can be, I think. And I just think maybe it'll be the next England manager once Southgate which he probably is going to leave after the Euros. I think I think it'll be the next manager who will probably bring Rico into the fold if if mm. it's a if it's a progressive manager. Well, he's welded to his favourites in tears like the likes of Ollie Watkins and even Eze has had ill very ill timed injury struggle to break through and UEFA I think want to return to a twenty three man squad for next summer, which obviously if there was two extra places that increases his chances so but we will see. And he's just not the type of manager, is he, to make a left field decision like that? Uh, no, not in not in that see. position. I think it's no. e- I think it's easier for managers to pick a very young forward in a yeah. in, in and a then side. not play them. Yeah. Yeah, not play them and just have them <laughs> as kind of this ace ace in the hole on the bench and you kind of for some reason fans all go, Oh yeah, that's 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 fine, that's that's normal. Yeah. Whereas I think if they if you bring in a young a really young um, kind of holding midfielder or or centre back or something, it would it would raise eyebrows definitely. The, the, uh, the whole thing but, is contrary. Sorry, Howard, the whole thing yeah, is contrary, isn't it? Because, I mean, so if if Rico Lewis plays a significant role in City retain the Premier League this season come May, and he and and he's regularly played, how how can an England manager ignore that and not select him? The flip side is I refuse to use England call up as an optic with which I review which with which I, I assess Rico Lewis's development as as a footballer. So that's why I don't I care for him if he wants to play for his national side, but I don't care if he's selected or not Lewis, because I can see the progress which he is making. I you know let's not forget the debacle of when Ericsson called up Theo Walcott, who barely played football for Arsenal and took him to, 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 to the World Cup. If you look at the bigger picture, that was deeply unhelpful for his career and the expectation that was laid upon him 
as as a professional footballer. So for me, there's no rush for Lewis to get to the England squad I, as long as he continues to deliver for City. Obviously, that's a very partisan view, but I just think I just think that that it can it can distort the issue really. Selection to the England squad, let alone selection for the starting eleven is not necessarily a testament to how you're playing at that time, hence mm. Maguire and Phillips playing. The, 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 as I said, there's a, the, 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 there's, the, it's very contrary and it drives me up the wall because, again, the, the, the interpretation that the wider media has about the way England plays based on an antiquated idea of entitlement. Uh, and I still think it's, it will, that, that will continue to pervade until we finally win something. And I wonder just how much of an honour and enjoyment it is to be a young player picked for a squad in the finals when you've got very little chance of playing. Yeah. If you want there to is, go, you want to be on the pitch, don't you? There is also the the factor that because um, he's so young and he's developing, he's still developing despite how good he is, that mm. when he's picked for England and if he played, he's very much then in the firing line from the media um football fans in general if say he makes a mistake or something like that because if he does that at City you know he's one of our own he'll be backed no matter what he'll, he can make a few mistakes mm. he could cost us a goal and people would still rally around him because he's one of us whereas if in the England team if he messed up and he's then getting hounded by the press and, and fans of other clubs how would that affect his development and his and, and him mentally and his confidence going forward it's right. um so there is that angle as well where it, it's it could be more of a curse than a blessing, but I do back him and I back his his mindset. So I, th- I don't think he would do anything that would cost us. I think he would bet- just only enhance the England team. But there is that thing to remember as well. As sometimes it could be a curse rather than a blessing yeah. at, at this point in his career. God help him if he buys a nice car and a big house. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. You know, and you know what, Howard? I think it's a fair shout to suggest that of all the young players in the Premier League so far this season, Rico Lewis has had the most extraordinary ascent. And, 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 and that's because of the position that he's been playing in this city side. Yes, he's surrounded by world-class players, but he's not playing as a striker where mistakes can be, that can be let, less at stake. He's playing in a double pivot role. In, as an inverted fullback, one of the most difficult positions to to, to play, and and so in that respect, I think he's massively underrated because he's because he's playing at such a level in a really challenging position on the pitch. Like George, I want nothing to impact on his development and, and his confidence. And if that means missing out on England, so be it. He might feel differently, but he's got plenty of time. Okay, it's almost time to move forward. So we've only got uh, to look forward only got a minute or two max on this Jude Bellingham had a fun debate on the review uh, George and Chris the real deal the hype justified can the hype still be too much even if he is the real deal uh, I was personally annoyed that Phil Foden got no mention on that second goal against Italy uh, just lost in yeah just lost because he lobbed uh, Jude Bellingham lobbed a ball past another player uh, and of course got uh, a tackle in early in the move but how do you feel about it? We're talking, is it already obvious we've got a generational talent here? Um, it's, it's clearly absolute quality. And um, and I think that, that it helps him that he's playing in Madrid because it means that where the English media talk about him, there's no partisan um, uh, kind of uh, uh, agenda there. Um, and... and 
um, he's showing th- he's impacted on the on the Real Madrid team already. He's impacted on the on the dynamic of the England team, and obviously he as he got as he came from young years and grew through Dortmund, he clearly became a really important player. Uh, but the test of any player for me is when they face adversity. And uh, he's yet to really face that in terms of he, there's now a massively increased expectation of what he can deliver and the contribution. As soon as Madrid face some adversity, as soon as England face some adversity, that's when he's got the, 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 the challenge ahead of him. So I acknowledge he is an exceptional talent and uh, and I wish he'd not gone to Madrid. I wish he was still at Dortmund, and we could we could make a play for him next summer as a as a possible uh, De Bruyne replacement. But he's going to stay at Madrid, I think, for for a long time. Mm-hmm. But I want to see him when he faces adversity, whether that's through injury or whether that's through a dip in form for Madrid, or whether that's that's a challenge on 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 in the international stage for England. His quality, but I want to see him come through uh, that challenge, which he hasn't yet had in his wow. um, career so far. At least didn't go to Liverpool. So, can you imagine? Can you imagine? I'd, I'd rather can not you imagine? imagine. Can you imagine what that would be like? He'd have been knighted by now. So, Liverpool.com would have just melted. Yeah, I think it would have melted the internet that site. <laughs> so, uh, George, briefly your thoughts on him? I think he. I think he's on a trajectory where if he keeps pace, he will be. He will be one of one of the greats of his era, but it's still such early days that I approach him with a bit of caution as well. I think if you look at the amount of minutes of football he's played at the age he is, compared to I think he's played over ten thousand plus more minutes than both Gerard and Lampard had at that stage of mm. uh, the stage of their careers. He's played more football than even Rooney did, and Rooney broke through, through very young. And I do worry about players who play so much football at that part of their careers and then continue to do that, that they, that once they hit around 30 or their late twenties, that they have a much steeper decline than players who maybe have like grown into a first team role and maybe only start getting regular minutes in their early twenties. So I do worry about that for him and I, and I hope that he's managed well and he has a great physio team and he's and, and he's looked after and not just played in every match because of because of what he's doing and I, but it's hard to do when somebody's scoring or assisting or getting man of the match every game it's hard to 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 not play them so I do understand why he does play so much football but I think I think he's I think he's going to be sensational and I think it helps him a lot that he has no ties to any of the big English clubs um, you know, he's only played in this country when he was 16 for Birmingham, and he's he's never played Premier League. He's never he's never caused upset to a United, Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, City. So therefore, people are willing to back him much more than say Rooney at that stage, who's. He reminds me a lot. People link him to Jared. He reminds me a lot more, maybe of Rooney, or maybe. Not, not, I don't think maybe not as good and not as you know much of a forward, but just in terms of his ascent and Rooney going to United, therefore meant so many people automatically just hated him from a, from a very young age. And at Madrid, he obviously doesn't have that, so it's going to be interesting to see how if this love fest keeps going. But like like Chris said, it's if if he it's how he reacts if he gets a red card for England at a tournament or um 
or Madrid in a Champions League match and those kind of things and how how does he deal with with adversity? That's what I'm interested to see now. This okay. this may sound like hyperbole, but he actually reminds me of Zidane. And it's not and not just in his physical frame, but it's just, just his skill set and his impact on the pitch. What there is about him that I'm quite hopeful for is there's a there's a refreshing maturity for his age. Um, um, for Bellingham and I think it's indisputable that's connected to the fact that he went abroad to play his football that he spent time in Germany and now he's spending time uh, in Spain he, he is he is an authentically European-minded continental footballer and he, he has not been infected by the sense of expectation and the media onslaught that this country c- can provide. And I think you're seeing that he handles himself very well on the pitch. He handles himself very well post-match interviews as well. Um, he feels like he's in control of his own career here. But as, as we've said, it's just how he will manage it. But yeah, I think we're fortunate to, to have him and I enjoy watching him play. He's, he's a delight to, 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 to watch on the pitch. Okay, right. Time to look forward uh, to the weekend and the proper football. Not that rubbish international stuff uh, that was just a palate cleanser. It's, it's Manchester City against Brighton this Saturday. Uh, Chris, I'll stay with you. We, we record before the press conference. I assume it's mm. normally about half one. But seems to be, touching wood again, uh, a clear bill of health on the break. Mm. And that must be the biggest positive we can have from the break. And John Stone's getting about 70 minutes on the pitch yeah. as well. That's a great thing coming into this uh, the return of Premier League football. Well, the key thing is we've got no excuses. <laughs> we, we can't say we haven't got Rodri, we haven't got certain players. You have full bill of health. Mm. So it's about how we respond to what has been a difficult... Well, not. it's interesting because it's come, it's come early, early doors. We've, we've been here before. We've, we've seen erratic performances from City in some of our most successful seasons. Um, I, I, I think it's been the manner of the defeats that have been a little bit frustrating. You know, Wolves was, was an anomaly in that there was, there was a general spread of mediocrity across that performance and Arsenal was just a kind of avalanche of frustration in terms of the pragmatic approach that we took and then how they got a spawny deflected goal um, at the end of it so so I, I think this is what I, I'm, I'm excited about tomorrow's game to get back into the stadium to see City play again but also because we've got a full bill of health and Guardiola now has the opportunity to really apply what his strategy is for, for this so yeah it's hopefully there's there's nobody else is there who has been who's been nursing an injury I think there's no one else we should expect to be out is there apart from Kev Kevin Kevin De Bruyne is obviously but not that I know of. So we'll see oh. for the... I, I mean, we'll get to team. He's got plenty of options now, let's put it that way. So even mm-hmm. for the small squad. So we'll see. Obviously, people will know more after the press conference. But George, those two defeats, has this put a huge amount of pressure on this match? I don't know if it's a huge amount of pressure, but all eyes certainly will be on the result of this. I think if City lose again, it will... It will breed confidence in the ranks of Arsenal, Liverpool, and them, um, and even Spurs. Uh, but I think that this is a game that City will be up for. I think Rodri being back. I think the fact it's at home after the international break is important for us as well. I think um, it gives us a, a bit of an edge. I think all the City fans will be hungry uh, to see City play, and not only see them play, but back them and get behind them and try and get that win to just try and calm 
nerves, if anybody is feeling nerves at this point. But I, I remember I was watching a Premier League years a few days ago, something, and it was the 2021 season. And I know it started a little later. I think the start of September, the season started that year. But we were 11th in November <laughs> and we went on <laughs> to win the league. So... I think even if we did lose, I, I wouldn't be, I still wouldn't be too stressed because we're still within touching distance and it's still early days. So I think there's a, there's a, there's a little bit of pressure, but I don't, I don't think it's huge. I don't think we can, I don't think you can lose the league title at this point in the season with as no, good as we are and the, and the manager we have. More frustration that we threw away those first six wins that gave us an opportunity to stay top, always have the chasing pack behind us, but now we're chasing mm. again, aren't we? Do you think, George, that, Quite another good or bad opponent to have after the break to get back on track. I think, I think good, but a test. I mean, they they'll come out all guns blazing. We know how the Zerbi likes to play, and and they've had a they've had a bit of a you know a roller coaster season so far. They they, they um they're leaking goals, and I think that's a good thing for us because I think we will definitely get the chances. But it's just a case of how how we're looking at the back, and um, which I, I think we will look, look solid. But um, I think they're they're a good opponent to play because I think it will be a fast paced match, and I think the crowd will be up for it. And I think it'll be one of those games which Harlan needs because he um, he he'll he'll get chances, and I think as soon as he gets one goal, I think um, he's not gonna he's gonna go on one of those streaks again. So I'm, I'm excited for it. Chris, what have you made of Brighton this season? Good stuff still there. Leaking goals. So no clean sheets this season, obviously walloped by yeah. Villa, but they are the league's top scorers as well. Uh, what's yeah, the Caicedo key, do you think, that they've not really replaced him, protecting that defence? I, th- I, th- I think there's only the bottom three teams who have conceded more goals. That's right, look at the tape. Yeah, there is. There's also, there's only Burnley, Bournemouth and Sheffield United have conceded more goals than Brighton. And considering they occupy the sixth position of the table, that's quite, that's a strange kind of thing to look at to see them conceding so many. Um, at, at, you know, with, and 16 points from eight games is, is decent enough. But, and they continue to show that attacking prowess that they've shown under deserved last season, but I think I think it is problematic for them to to have conceded so many goals, and I think that it is defensively they're weaker, but it starts in that midfield, and I do feel like they haven't really plugged that gap. He's he's going for a much more not cavalier approach because he's a very skilled manager, but but I but he needs to address that defensive frailty, and um, I think it's the perfect game for us to come back after the international break mm. and come back on, on the back of two wins because uh, two losses rather because we're not going to play a turgid team who 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 just who just play dead in their final third we're going to play a team that that, that that wants to come out however and I know it's still very very early days it's on the ninth game of the season I think this is a really important game because we have some key matches coming up Tottenham Liverpool before the end of of, of the year, uh, we need to have the opportunity, the option to be able to say we can take a draw on these because it won't affect the table too much. If we lose a game like this, suddenly we're three, four, five points behind the Tottenham and Liverpool, those teams uh, that are pushing. Or United, Villa, not, United are next. <laughs> 
Trust no, I don't me, mean United. for the. I don't mean yeah. as a title contender. I mean United's no. the next match, yeah. so there's and pressure. It's the big, yeah, there's pressure, and and we need to be able to bank these three points so we can manage the worst case scenario of taking a point against Tottenham, taking a point against Liverpool. So it's not a must win, but I think it's damned important that we we beat Brighton. We show that we, Rodri has that impact again. But as as we've already mentioned, we, we've got a schedule of quite important challenging games coming up. We need the cushion of not dropping points where we should be taking them. Um, I do see a lot of goals in this game. I think it'll be that that kind of match. And that's why I think it's a perfect... That's why I'm so excited about it. Because Brighton will come to play. Mm. And that often brings the best out in us as a team when a team tries to attack us. George, uh, he's got the thumbs up from Pep. Is Deserby still a potential next City manager for you? He'd be a really interesting shout, but I just don't think he he will be available to us when the time comes and and, and Pep leaves City. I think well, Pep's contract's twenty twenty five, and possibly you never know. Um, he may extend even just a year to make it ten. He may go to twenty twenty six to do you know a full ten years. At City, I, I wouldn't be shocked for an, for another short extension from him. And I think if De Zerbi has another successful season at Brighton and delivers a high a high um, you know top top eight finish from then and does well in what in in a cup or two, I think another club will come sniffing around and 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 take him up. Um, I think his positive, you know. Playing out from the back, um, looking to always looking to be positive, always looking to score approach would fit well at City, and I don't think it would be a huge ask for a, for a Pep team to transition over to play Deserby style. There'd be obviously slight adjustments from personality and certain tactical elements, but it wouldn't be a huge shift, which I think is an attractive prospect if you want to continue that brand of football, but. I don't know. The, the the after Pep question is so huge and so big, and because it's still relatively far away, I just I can't um, I can't crown anybody a successor at this point. But he mm. would, if he, if available, I think he would definitely be in the conversation. George, if you could have your choice, if Pep leaves in twenty five, his contract runs out. If you could have your choice now to say who would succeed Guardiola, do you, would you have a pick of anyone? <sighs> Now that is a great question. Um, it's ca- it's a, it's a strange one because it's kind of everybody I pick. It's it, usually when you're at football, you, you're always trying to get somebody better and and continue developing. But who is better than Pep? And that's that's the thing I struggle Ooh. with. I, I think Deserby would be a shout. I, I, I've always did like the way Nagelsmann played. I know he's managing Germany now. It didn't go too well for him at, at Bayern Munich, but I think he would fit the style. Um, I don't think he'd come. I'm really liking Xabi Alonso at Bayer Leverkusen, the way they're playing. But I think mm-hmm. if you believe yeah. the papers, he's going to go to Madrid, Real Madrid next year. Um, so Nagelsmann. And there's there's a few people who still reckon Thomas Tuchel. That, that would be an interesting one yeah. to City. Oh, you know, Guardiola was brought in to create a legacy. And he is now... He is now embedded that framework of football in the same way that Cruyff did at Barcelona and that's why Guardiola in the end was the best person to take up that mantle and continue that legacy in terms of recruitment strategy 
if you looked at it like that, who is the person? Not not best to maintain the way Guardiola managed, but best to maintain maintain the legacy of football playing style of who could continue that. Who would be the best person? You're going to answer your own question. Well, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but would anybody consider bringing Arteta back? I think I think the club would would love to have him back and after Pep. It's just a case of where he's at in that Arsenal journey and Ooh. would and if he feels he can be to Arsenal what Pep is to us, then I don't think we'd be able to pry him away. No. He's not attainable how, if he's how, playing well. So if how would have you well, just been sick in your mouth at that suggestion? Well, I don't think he's attainable anyway if he's doing well and if he's not doing but, but, well, but if he's he probably was, not on the list. It, so But if eh? he was. But if he was if buts maybe's yeah. I know, but I'm, but all of this, uh, all of this appointment talk is if buts and maybe's, isn't it? He, yeah, in a, in a playing football manager, he's the clear option. Now I have my doubts about you know certain things. He he likes he likes his set eleven, doesn't he? And he overworks him and the emotional mm. stuff. But there's you know look at tactical sites as Deserby has things to learn about certain things. You know certain setups like. City fans will know all about it, playing teams with a low block and stuff like that, you know, when he played West Ham. Uh, so there's all little things for managers, but he would be on the list in a hypothetical situation. Absolutely, yeah. I think the one, he does the tick one the boxes, ha- doesn't he, sir? So he ticks the boxes, ha- yeah. The one challenge I have with deserving this is just his hair. I can't take his hair seriously. <laughs> but you'll have Arteta. <laughs> yeah, but, but at least Arteta's got a sensible haircut. Deserby looks like a man trying to hold on to his twenties with that hair, and it's and and, and I think it's problematic. <laughs> if we bring him We've all club. been there. Anyway, <laughs> let's get back to the match. Uh, Chris, no avoiding it. Yeah, potential city team. I have not got the foggiest. So, <laughs> uh, would you like to help me out here? So, up stones straight back in, but where? <laughs> Who's up front? What? Uh, yeah, where does okay. Bernardo play? Or do you right. play him? I mean, so, the, the thing of having a, a full bill of health apart from Kevin De Bruyne, if that's the case, is it does pose a lot of dilemmas for this match. Rico Lewis has got a shout to be in this it team. Uh, if, if Stones comes in, he's not... I think Walker's position is safe, especially for this game. Yeah. If so many, like, I don't know how he's going to... It'll all be done Try you know, in response to how he expects Brian to to set up, but I still don't know what the answers are for this potential City team. Do you have any idea? So, I don't think Stones will start. I think he might come on as a sub. I think I think that, that Pep might not want to rush him. We're, we're playing we're playing Brighton, which means possession of the ball is going to be critical. When you play a team that, that mm. do a low block, you take possession for granted. So, therefore, I, I, I think that Grealish will start. Um... Uh, and I think Bernardo will start as well and Foden. It depends though where Bernardo and Foden start. I think the bat line, I think Walker will will, will maintain his position. Diaz, um, it's a toss-up between Ake and Akanji. I don't have a criteria with which to distinguish uh, either of those. Roger will be back in. It dep- I guess it depends who he wants to double pivot with that. So there may be a chance of Lewis playing because Roger will need support because because Brighton will push forward quite a lot. Every player, I would say, um, in that squad has a fair shout to start the game. Um, but it's but may- maybe it's the spine you can predict, though it's Edison, 
Diaz, Walker, Rodri, Haaland, Grealish. That's as far as I'm going to go. Maybe Kovacic as well, but that's as far as, as I'm going to go. I can't, you, you think, just can't predict anymore. Do you think Kovacic could be on the naughty step after his Emirates disaster class? Um, Long time I, I, ago I now. I mean, I, I just don't know what kind of conversation they would have had with him because I don't recall a City player doing that in a long, long time. Not just in terms of the malice of the... Well, actually, I saw Haaland do it against Everton, actually, last season. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know he I mean? lost the plot and, a bit, didn't he, that yeah, day? So. and there was this John As Stones did Rodri a few weeks ago, but yeah, you don't drop yeah, it. You don't put him but, on the naughty step, do no, you, ever? But, but but there was just that... There was, there, there was a certain character within that tackle that I found pretty awful and unnecessary at the part of the pitch it was on as well. Um but then the 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 lack of responsibility to 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 do it again. He has to look at that the, at the footage and go, I was a very, very lucky boy with that. Um he, you know, but if it's not Kovacic, you know, who would it be Nunes coming in? I just it's it becomes so hard to predict. In a way, I quite like that because mm. I don't I then don't set myself up to be disappointed um if Pep doesn't pick the eleven that, that I want. But but I think yeah we've got those options but we've got that fantastic opportunity now to have a full squad. Let's see what Pop Pep decides is the most appropriate lineup for him to come up with. George, any thoughts to add to that? Yeah, it's one of the toughest lineups to guess of the of the season so far. I think Rico I think Rico Lewis will start and I also think Jeremy Doku will start as well. I think I think Grealish will be on the bench. I think Kovacic will be on the bench. Mm. Um, and yeah, uh, outside of that, I think it's pretty similar to what Bernard, to what Griffin Bernardo on the right. Yeah, I think so. Bernardo on the right. Okay, Fo- maybe Foden in, more in the middle in this yeah. match. Yeah, we discussed Haaland as well. I think he's he struggled most this season against physical defenders. Yeah. Would you put Dunk as a potential problem then? Uh, if he's up against him as being another issue for him because he's a big lad <laughs> and yeah. pretty physical, therefore he could pose him similar problems. I don't think so. I think Harlem will move across their back line if they play yeah. with three mm. centre-backs, if they play two. I remember... Uh, last season when he absolutely bodied Adam <laughs> Webster right in front of where near where I sit yeah. and um, <laughs> and so I'm I'm not too worried about Haaland. I think obviously there's, there's, there was the narratives when he had went on a little bit of a drought last year and they've all come to surface again and even though he's got a goal a game so far on average in the Premier League on eight goals. Um, so I'm not wor- too worried. I think it's, you know, for him, it's just, it's all, his his biggest battle is, is always his own head yeah. rather than the opposition players. I think, but I think he'll do a job against Brian. I, th- but, I, I think we'll see two, two, two goals from him tomorrow. Yeah. But what suits him surely is Chris has touched on this and either you can answer this. This all points to them. I'm loath to say this because it's be a curse. This points, they're not going to play dead, they want to play. This points to a goal fest and a fully entertaining game, which could Absolutely. certainly suit Haaland and others, yeah. He's getting yeah. a hat-trick. He's getting a hat-trick, man. I'm, t- I'm telling you, it's like, it's the perfect, it's the perfect. I see a lot of goals in this and I see and I see Haaland feasting and, and, that, and that's not 
hyperbole that, that that that's not that's not wish fulfillment look at who we play look at who they play look at how many goals they've conceded in the previous eight games okay there's not a crisis with Haaland. he's he's just he's just not he's he's 10 percent less than he's been recently in the end like most of last season i i see a goal first i see them scoring as well possibly but i see quite a high scoring game and i think he'll be fine yeah. Now, George, I guess key is return was pop- I mean, there's plenty of, plenty of threats, but negating the Mitoma, he did have a virus. I assume he'd be uh, fit for this one. He's also signed a new contract today as well until 2027. But negating his threat would be key for City, won't it? Definitely. I think um, Mitoma is, he's their mercurial player in, in the forward line. He's, um, he he has that intelligence about him when he knows when to keep the ball moving past it and when to take people on. So I think he'll be up against Walker. So I think Walker won't be bombing down the the right hand side like we've seen a bit of him uh, from the season where he's almost playing as a, as, a, as a right mid. I think he'll be very much in in the defensive line against Matoma. And then outside of him, it's it's hard to predict because they change up their. Deserve changed up their lineup so much. You never know if yeah. it's going to be Welbeck and Jao or Joao Pedro, or if it's going to be Evan Ferguson, who are all yeah, I think he had very an different illness, players. So, yeah. yeah, Ferguson had an illness and hasn't been quite on it, but obviously, if he is on it, he's a huge threat as well, isn't he? So, but you don't know, do you, who's going to pick? No, they're, both they're managers even... won't know who the other player manager is going to pick for this in quite a lot of positions for this game, will they? So, there's Not going to the be slightest. a lot of ta- yeah. Ta- uh, be like a game of chess, I think, a lot as well, and probably see quite a lot of sub second half as well. I don't know. Yeah, there'll be a, there'll be lots of adapting in game. Yeah. I think that there's going to be a record broken for for the um, for the most gestures by a Premier League um, <laughs> manager pairing from Deserbi and Pep throughout the match. Um, so I, th- I expect lots of different systems and changes in the playing with a back three, then playing with a back four, then people dropping into different positions. It's uh, it's going to be an entertaining one, and it's a uh, Saturday three o'clock. So it's uh, probably a shame for the neutral fans that this isn't a game on the telly. To be honest, mm-hmm. do you look forward to games like this where there is a bit of pressure on it, though? I do. Yeah, I, I like it's the the, the most exciting games where you've got points to prove or when the pressure's on. They can be horrible sometimes as well, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but the payoff if, if in the win is is much better than a payoff in a game that you were expected to win. Yeah, indeed, right? I guess all that's left, because there's so many unknowns here, should be an absolutely cracking match. Uh, score prediction. Chris, I'll start with you. 5-1. <laughs> really? Yeah, I think I think there's going to be goals. I think they're going to be open. I think we're going to score. I think they'll score as well. I'm going to go five of one because what I've seen when they con- when when Brighton have conceded and they've lost, they they're losing big this season. Hmm. And I and I think and and they are leaking goals. And Deserbi's remedy tends to be attack more. So the attack is your first line of defence. And I think that once once Harlem can can assert his dominance, which I think he will, I think there'll be goals. I'm going to say, yeah, it's a, it's 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 a bold statement, but I think five one. George, I'm going to go. I'm going to stick with the um, stick with the the six goals, but I'm going to go four two City um, <laughs> instead. I think yeah, goal first. I, I just can't see it any other way unless unless it go unless you know they they both go against. What we all expect, and it's it'll be a 
a, a tight 1-0 but I, j- I just can't see it happening with the way these, these two teams play so yeah 4-2 to City that's what I was going to go for so have, have two? Have we ever had two people predicting a four-two win on a Friday show before? <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> Don't doubt we're, we're it very much. In, we're back in Kevin Keegan territory. Aren't yeah. We? yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'd love it if that happened. I'd love it. Yeah. No four-nil would be better. Here, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. Yeah, uh, right. Almost time to wrap up. Just very briefly, a couple of minutes. Do you see anyone doing City a favour this weekend? Everton at Anfield. Chelsea host Arsenal. Sheffield United host Man U. And I think Spurs are away to full. I still don't take them seriously, but if they keep winning, then we're going to have to. So I think Spurs are at Fulham on Monday night. So, any either of you see any favours being done to City? I think. think um, Sorry, George. Go ahead. No, I, I just think. Um, I think Chelsea uh, would be the the one that one game. Chelsea Arsenal. So it's at Chelsea, I think, isn't it? It is. So, yeah. I, and they they've been a very strange team all season. Played well in a lot of games. They've not won and. It's not clicked in a lot of games, but the last match they did well. Um, I think you know that Pochettino started to build a bit of rapport, and I think um, he'll he'll have a point to prove still. And I just could see them maybe nicking at least a point. That's that's the game where I'm I'm actually fairly optimistic about Arsenal dropping points. But I could be proven wrong. Arsenal could steamrolling, but yeah, I back Chelsea to maybe get something this weekend. Chris, I agree with George. I think Chelsea Arsenal's the only possible opportunity where we can maybe have some favours done for us. I think that I, I think the Merseyside derby might start the usual way it does is is Everton are perky and asking questions, but ultimately Liverpool's class will show. Sheffield United are a basket case at the minute and I think United will just capitalise on that. Spurs full on I just think Spurs are too good at the minute. They've, they've, their momentum's really strong. So yeah, fingers crossed for Chelsea, Arsenal. Um, Chelsea yeah, Chelsea yeah. what th- three on the balance I think they've won. So they're showing a little bit of form. Yeah, I agree with you. Everton not got a chance. Sheffield yeah. United under the lights, eight o'clock Saturday, and we almost messed up there. But now, I mean, <laughs> that's not that's not a question I'm asking about title chances. But I always have to put United in until they mathematically cannot win the title because I'm just yeah, yeah. I'm, it's just ingrained in me that way. So, uh, but Everton, I think Arsenal and Liverpool are the two I'm looking out for basically to drop points. They're the ones I'm comparing in the table at the moment because I think that they were surely the two threats for the title so come on Chelsea uh, come on Everton mm-hmm. but no Everton will get thrashed right uh, Chris thank you very much for coming on I really appreciate it pleasure as always and just a shout out to Ali who became a grandfather this week yes well done, well done sir we, we now have two granddads in the 93-20 fold which is fantastic oh my god <laughs> it's, it's a young man's game, Chris. We're going to get all, all those oldies are going to get pushed out eventually, aren't I, we? So. I've got another grandchild on the way in February next year, and I'm getting oh, younger really? by the minute because of it. So, yeah, it's an absolute gift. So, Ali, enjoy <laughs> yourself, mate. Yeah, brilliant. And cheers for reminding me of that as well. Uh, George, <laughs> thank you very much for coming on. Appreciate it. No problem at all. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Right, that is a wrap. We're all off to swim to the corner shop as Storm Babbitt hits. What sort of name is that? Have a great weekend, everyone. Stay safe. And as always, up the blues.